0: How did Jesus teach the Bible? That's the question we're discussing today on The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me, as always, is Brian Dembozik. Brian, today we are discussing a passage that is near and dear to both of our hearts.
1: Yeah, this is, this is one that we love. Um, I, I love it just because it's a great passage, of course, but added to the, our way too long of a list of our favorite passages. Yeah. Uh, but also this one's near and dear to our hearts because of the gospel project we work with, because this is one that really, uh, this and I think John 5 are two really strong passages to show us how studying all of scripture, looking for Jesus is correct. Yes. I think yes. I just gave away the answer to our initial question.
0: So yeah, but to answer this question, that you know, yes, you have given away the given it away, and that's okay. But we get to dig into this a little bit more because today we are discussing Luke twenty four, verses through thirteen through, uh, really about thirty five, thirty five, thirty six today. So uh, what we're gonna do is we are going to read this passage. Um, specifically, I'm going to read this passage because
1: you I, are I, the better reader. I don't know how well, this worked you. out, but I'm glad you do most of the reading on these episodes.
0: <laughs> well, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm, good. I'm glad I'm good for something.
1: So. Me read words good like.
0: You do. You talks real good, too. <laughs> All right. So here is, uh, here is the passage. Now, that same day, that is Resurrection Sunday... Two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together, they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what, what is this dispute that, you've, that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. One man named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things? He asked them. So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who is a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to, the, to be sentenced to death and they crucified him but we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. And he, again, that he being Jesus, said to them, How foolish are you and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken? Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going. And he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. And they said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while we, he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together who said, the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them. In the breaking of the bread, that is really what we're all about when when we come to the Bible. I mean, not just not just not just in terms of how we how you and I uh, Brian approach uh, our work with the Gospel Project, but really when we come to the Scripture personally, we're coming to it and we're we're looking to understand Scripture the way that Jesus seems to tell us that we're supposed to.
1: Yeah, he models it here, and, um, you know, again, when when you couple this with John 5 and and some other passages, I I think you have a a pretty strong case that the way that he is modeling here is the right way to do it. Mm -hmm. And there are other hermeneutical approaches to Scripture that have merit and we can learn from, but I think if we stop short of what Jesus does here, we, we come up too short and we're not really understanding and studying Scripture the proper way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's why this passage is so important that we kind of just take some time and walk through it and make sure we understand what is happening here and also what's not happening here, because sometimes this passage is, is used to argue something that's too too much. And yes. so we'll talk about that in a minute.
0: Yeah, totally. So uh, as we dig into it, though, what are some questions that we should be asking as we're reading and studying it?
1: I think the first two are a little bit more matter-of-fact, kind of just getting our bearings. And, and the first one we come across is who were these two disciples walking on, on this road? We know one of them is named Cleopas. Mm-hmm. The other is unnamed. So what we do know, these, it seems like the other one as well is not part of the 11. We know Cleopas was not part of the 11. 12, Judas has died has by this time. Yeah. Um, so they're not part of that inner core. Um, so they're other disciples, as we've talked about in other, other episodes, there were many different disciples We kind of think of the 12 who would become the apostles as the disciples, but they were not the exhaustive disciples. There were others. So Cleopas and this other disciple were in that group. It's interesting that the second disciple is not named. That means that Cleopas was probably known by the reader of of Luke's gospel. Um, Some suggest that maybe the second was his wife. Uh, When they Mm -hmm. get to Emmaus, it seems like they go to their home together together. Uh, so I think there's a good case to be made that this is his wife or it's just some other disciple who's not named because Luke's readers would not have known who the second person is. And it kind of takes us to the second question related to that one. So they're walking along and as they're walking, of course, they're just kind of talking about what had happened. And 15 indicates they were kind of arguing. It's a little bit of a a tense discussion. It's not just a, a kind of a calm conversation. There's a little bit of, of tenseness in, in it. What were they arguing about? What what was going on? I I think they were just trying to make sense of what had happened. So they're processing as they're walking. And and we have to remember, we've talked about this at times as well. They were processing and learning in real time. We have hindsight. They didn't know what was happening because they hadn't experienced it yet. So as they're trying to understand, they're probably going back and forth. And and it's kind of going like this. Hey, I think ABC. And the other one's like, no, it can't be that. That doesn't make sense, but what about this? And so it's not like a heated argument of, you know, clashing. It's just them wrestling together, I think, probably drawing from the Old Testament um, of what Jesus had done in the events, because that's where they're going to, Jesus is going to ask them, they're going to draw from them in a minute. So they probably are looking at what had happened in, in Jerusalem last week, what Jesus had taught about what he had done, and even perhaps drawing from the Old Testament. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know, just even thinking about that, this whole idea of them, them arguing with one another, it kind of makes me long for, for the days when it was a lot easier to to debate um, people. That's something that we've lost in, in recent years in, uh, you know, even among Christians that there's a spirit of camaraderie that allows for rigorous debate among friends and uh, I, I really want that back.
1: <laughs> yeah, Twitter has has broken us.
0: Yeah, yeah, a lot of things have broken us in in that regard. But uh, you know, another question that we should be looking at um, is is really this question of the accuracy, um, the accuracy of the rightness of the report that uh, that these two disciples provided. So, did they give Jesus a good uh, a good account of of the events? And the answer is yes and no, um, because, I mean, again, we see we see this this ongoing struggle to, to understand as they are processing things. So much of what they said was was accurate, but it wasn't complete. So a key thing that uh, a key thing that gives away that is the fact that they refer to Jesus as a prophet. They say he he was a prophet powerful in action and speech before God and all the people. And certainly we know that Jesus was a prophet, but he wasn't simply a prophet. He was so much more than that and is so much more than that. Because he is the he is the ultimate prophet, <laughs> um, he is the perfect prophet, if you will, and and he is the son of God, who is God. So um, that is so. Those are things, but those are things that that they were not entirely grasping at that point. Um, we also uh, we also have them wrestling with the question of whether the reports of the resurrection were true. They wanted it to be true, but they weren't sure. And so that's where there is this, this yes and no coming into play. And that leads into Jesus's response to them and to our next question, which is why did Jesus call them foolish? And the answer there is, is because um, they had enough. They had enough to be able to reach the right conclusion. They had all that they needed already before them in the Old Testament. And they had seen what was what had happened. They, they'd witnessed the whole thing. And so all the dots were all in place. And Jesus had spoken to them, had spoken and taught all of his disciples that these things were going to happen to the Messiah. But we, we also know from, from earlier in the Gospels that they didn't understand. So all, the, all that had to happen was the dots needed to be connected. And so that leads to him actually connecting these dots.
1: Yeah, and that takes us to kind of the critical question we're going to be spending a little bit of time talking about, and, and it's based on verse 27. Uh, and that verse is where Jesus, as he's responding, he says, you're, you're foolish and slow to believe. Uh, in other words, again, you should have known. And then in verse 27, it's where he meets them where they are to take them where they need to be. And we read, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. So the question we have to ask is, does that verse prove that every word and every passage in the Old Testament is about Jesus. And we have to be careful to say, no, it really doesn't. When, when we question it that way, when we pose the question that way, every single word, every single you know, sentence, no, it doesn't. It, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that verse 27 does not say then starting with Genesis 1-1 and going all the way through Malachi, Jesus showed himself in every single word, sentence, verse, whatever. What it does is it affirms, though, something really important, so we can't go too far the other way and dismiss and fail to understand what's going on here. This says that Jesus used the big story arc that runs through all of Scripture to point to him, that it's all about him, at least in the macro level, Mm -hmm. all the Scripture, all the Old Testament is about him, and of course, the New Testament would be as well that the macro level, that story arc is about Him. So what this does is it gives us the, um, the reason and the need as we're studying Scripture to keep that in mind. As we're studying a book, as we're studying a chapter, as we're reading a paragraph, as we're reading a sentence and so forth, mm-hmm. we always look at it with that lens. What I'm reading here is part of a bigger story that is about Jesus, And sometimes we will see Jesus in that chapter or that paragraph even, or even a sentence at times, we will see him directly through um, a messianic prophecy or typology or something like that. But a lot of times we will see Jesus through the theme, which is maybe a little bit broader than just that sentence or that verse or that paragraph. Um, we're going to see these themes of redemption. We're going to see these themes of of man's sinfulness and, and that we keep failing. We can never do it right. We need a redeemer. We need somebody to rescue us. The themes of who God is, the themes of God's heart for people. And these themes we see more broadly as we read individual sentences, paragraphs, and books, and so forth, that do connect us directly to Jesus. So everything we should be able to get to Jesus either directly... Or, for lack of a better word, indirectly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes it's just a gospel truth or, or advancing redemption history. Genealogies do this. That's why Matthew starts with a genealogy. He's connecting everything that happened in the Old Testament. I'm connecting you to Jesus, who you're. I'm about to tell you about. So sometimes it's, it's even that level. So as we're studying Scripture, if we believe that verse 27 does affirm that every single word, every single item directly points to Jesus, it would we would lapse into, into the wrong way to interpret Scripture allegory, that there's yeah. hidden meanings of Jesus under every rock. That's not correct. But if we fail to understand what Jesus is saying here, we can study the Scripture and walk away not looking for Jesus and not seeing Him and missing what it's all about. So I would say as we're sitting, that's what we always have to keep in mind. What themes of redemption are we seeing here? How are we seeing Jesus told about more directly? What am I learning about Him? What am I learning about God? And then that gives us the right bearing to understand, interpret, and apply what we're reading, Mm -hmm. either applying that toward, I need to trust Jesus if I've not done that yet, or I need to be in awe of redemption and grateful, or I'm seeing how I should live because I've been called to be like Christ. As an image bearer who has been redeemed by Christ, I'm called to live as Christ... Not as God, but like Him. I'm to model Him. I'm to show Him, reflect Him. So there are times where I come across His compassion for people, for example, and that reminds me, because God was compassionate for me and provided Jesus, and He changed me, He's given me the ability to be compassionate for others, how do I need to be more compassionate today towards somebody else? So I think this is such a critical, and it's why we love this passage, it's so critical for us as we look at how the, to rightly study all of Scripture.
0: Yeah well and and I really appreciate the fact that you that you brought up the fact that um, a focus on Christ doesn't exclude um, a correct um, desire to respond to the text or to learn from the from the example of Christ. Um, but the way you, the way you put that together was really helpful in that, um, it's not, here's what Jesus did. Go be like Jesus. It's because that's, that's just base moralism yeah. and that's, that's actually not helpful for, for people. Um, as, as we seek to become more like Christ, it's, it's not just simply becoming more like him. We look at the exam the way that, that. Um, The really that the epistles put this really strongly and emphatically. And this is this is, again, one of those themes that you see all throughout. It's our action and our responses are rooted in what God has done for us. And so we uh, so, for example, um, in the Old Testament, it says, be holy, um, you know, be holy because I am holy um the the but before all of that is i am the lord your god <laughs> who <laughs> redeemed you from me uh from bondage and um and so for us in the gospel it, it like as gospel centered gospel driven gospel formed people we are um it is because Christ has rescued and redeemed us from sin, we are called to be holy because Christ is holy.
1: Yeah. And it's so important. You know, as you said, we, we can veil moralism even with the best of intention. And uh, we are, you know, we're dressing it up nice. But even even saying, All right, be like Jesus... And if the, if the motivation is there so that God loves me or approves me or accepts me, that's moralism.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we have to be careful. You know, we, a lot of times we set up moralism almost as um, a caricature of, oh, yeah, just people who just don't get the Bible. They don't love Jesus. They're, you know, they're just, you know, whatever. And we make it, they, we're nothing like that it's them. They make this big mistake, but moralism can seep into us. Even those of us who love the scriptures, love Jesus and are trying to live out the gospel, it can seep in easily. So it's a good warning that that you bring up. Yeah.
0: Um, Another question or another thing that we should talk about is um, how did the disciples come to recognize Jesus? And so that we see that that we see earlier in the passage that they were prevented from recognizing him. But then after he broke the bread and blessed it, they saw who he was. Um, so it was either through. So, I mean, there's a couple of options here. One is, is that um, it was either through how he broke the bread and blessed it, that that clued them in because he did it in a way that was familiar, that he had done it this specific way before. And that was like. Oh, wait a minute. It's you. Um, That that's a possibility. Um, Or it could also be that God opened their eyes as he had apparently closed them before they were prevented. And then he lifted the veil. Um, And it's possible that both things were going on. Um, I mean, ultimately, I think you have to you have to lean toward um, that God opened their eyes to the to this reality. Um, we see this in other places in uh in the post-resurrection accounts as well um that um and and those encounters where people are talking to jesus but don't recognize him yeah um, until something happens um mary in uh mary in john's gospel is a is a great example where she sees she she is at the tomb she's waiting she's waiting around she's she's hoping that she's going to see Jesus. Jesus shows up, but she thinks it's the gardener.
1: Yeah, and, and a lot of people, like that when they say, well, it, the sun was coming up, it was really early in the morning, the sun was coming, maybe the sun was in her eyes. It could have been, but I think when you look at Scripture overall, blindness is often used as a metaphor for spiritual blindness. I mean, John 9, I think it is the man born blind. Mm-hmm. There, that conversation comes up. Paul is blinded on the road to Damascus. Over and over again, we just have this idea, it was Elisha's servant who could not see um, mm-hmm. the angelic army. Over and over, we just have this physical blindness is used as a metaphor by God frequently for spiritual blindness. And it makes sense that these individuals were having trouble seeing, even though they weren't literally blinded, but they're prevented from seeing because I think it might be God's way of giving extending that metaphor that they still hadn't yet trusted they hadn't believed yet these two disciples were in the process they needed their eyes opened physically in this case but also spiritually what it's hinting at so yeah i think while the account ends with you know they they describe to the others how they had recognized jesus in the breaking of bread i think it was a one two i think it worked together that's when god mm-hmm. used that opportunity to open their eyes and and let them see who jesus is yeah um, another question we have to ask is what caused their hearts to burn within them? This is one of my favorite parts of this this passage in verse 32 after their eyes are opened, what do they do? they they turn to each other basically and, and they say wasn't that amazing? Something was stirring our affections. something was happening deep within us and that was great. And we we know it was not the stories of the Old Testament. It's not that as they were traveling, Jesus said, let me tell you, have you ever heard a story about Abraham? Let me tell you about Abraham. And they said, no, we've never heard of Abraham. This is amazing. No, it, they knew the stories because that's why Jesus rebuked them. He said, you know, you know what's in the Old Testament. You have the details. You should connect those dots. So it wasn't dots that Jesus told to them. It was the connection of those dots. It was the thread of Jesus that makes sense of the Old Testament net narrative, that meta-narrative. And so for them to, to come to understand rightly for the first time, it seems, what all the Old Testament is about, move them deeply. And this is what we are after. Um, you know, we, we want this to happen in our own hearts, our own lives— but we also want to help others who we might be discipling, as we'll talk about in a minute. We want them to experience this. We don't want them just learning scriptures to know scriptures. That in of itself, again, John 5, 39 and 40 warns us about this. You can know scriptures inside and out and not know Jesus, and you're dead in your sin. So we mm. want the affections, we want the knowledge to be there, but we want that knowledge to cause affections, love, and awe. And gratitude for God to grow and develop through the Holy Spirit's work, such that we ourselves and whoever we might be discipling might echo, join in this chorus. Wasn't this amazing? Aren't our hearts burning? Yeah.
0: Well, and that's a that's a great uh, way to transition into our uh, into the question of discipleship and walking through this passage with someone else or multiple someone else's, regardless of age. What are a couple of things that that we would say um, are helpful takeaways? Uh, I'm gonna do the first one, and and then I'll I'll let you take the other one, mostly because I just want to do it. So, <laughs> uh, so I think one of the one of the key things that we we can take away from this passage is that is the answer to the to the big question: How do we how how does Jesus teach? Uh, teach the Bible, and how do and how do we learn to interpret Scripture? The two go together in that we learn Jesus' way of doing it; that it's ultimately about Him. Um, the goal, well, yes, one hundred percent. We need to understand the historical context of Scripture. We cannot we cannot ignore that. Um, we we do not. You said it very well earlier. We do not allegorize the scriptures ever. we read we read them appropriately according to their setting, their genre, and um you know, and the grammar used. so that's the that's the big idea of the the historical grammatical uh, interpretation method um, that is though that is is very very important. but our goal is... As we look at those things, we want to see how God's plan to provide Jesus, to save people from sin, how, how the arc of redemptive history is playing itself out. Um, and so how we do this from passage to passage matters. All those things I outlined, I, I just talked about, all of those play a role in this. Because sometimes that means that you're gonna be seeing, you know, a very bang on type of Christ. You're sometimes gonna be seeing, you're gonna pick up on a theme. You're gonna see texts that are very clearly outlined as messianic prophecies and, and, and things like this. Um, you know, other times it's, it is going to be examples um, that, that point us toward how God wants his people to live in light of Christ. Um, and so we want, um, so as we do that, we, we just want to really encourage and remind, uh, everyone that we, that we serve, um, and remind ourselves frequently that we ought to learn and practice proper hermeneutics. So basically proper principles for studying the Bible.
1: Yeah. And I would just add this, um, Aaron to that. That's really well said that I, I, i I trust we do this in, in the Gospel Project content. If you if you look at the resource, and those of you listening who use it, just hopefully you will recognize this readily. If you're not familiar with the resource and want to look at it, hopefully you would see this, that what we do is we, we do every session, we, we outline the text, uh, we figure out, you know, what is it saying, what's going on, as you, as you described, and then we have the Christ connection. But when we go to write the actual content, we don't just start with the Christ connection and just say, all right, let's talk about the Christ connection. Or here's, real quick, here's how we got to the Christ Connection. Now let's talk about the Christ Connection for 40 minutes. The bulk of the session is diving into the text and understanding what it means, seeing in its context, dealing with it for what it is. And then we get to the Christ Connection, and then we get the application. So as we're studying, we can't can't make Scripture so utilitarian that it just gets us to Jesus that we devalue the Scriptures itself. That's not honoring. We need to honor Scripture, study Scripture, spend time in that, but not stop short of seeing Jesus. The other takeaway I would say, as we're discipling somebody, and, and I intimated this at you know as we're talking about the the disciples' hearts burning within them, uh, we see the full person engaged in this account. If we think about those two disciples, it started with their minds, as we've talked about, where Jesus helps them see and understand what Scripture is all about. It moved into their hearts, um, as, as we just talked about in, in verse uh, 32, but then it doesn't stop there. Verse 33 continues, and it says, that very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the 11 to report what had happened. So here we see it carries over to their actions, their behavior, or their hands, if you want to use the heart, uh, the head, heart, hands triad, they, they did something, their are understanding of the gospel, their love of Christ compelled them to act. They couldn't sit still. And I think what is important here is to think in this context, it was late at night and they were about to travel the, what, six miles or so back to Jerusalem. It was not a wise decision because you didn't travel at night. That's, it was dangerous. That's where you could have robbers and so forth. It would have been much smarter for them to say, let's set our alarms and get up really early tomorrow morning. As soon as light is up, we're going to go back. But they didn't do that, I think, because they just couldn't. They, they Something was within them that they were going to burst. They were so full of joy at this point, you know, of awe of Jesus being alive. They had to tell somebody. They could not have slept. And so they they had to do something right away. And so I think we see this this nice model for us, that we want to help people we're discipling, and we want to experience this, is as we're coming to understand the gospel more, as it's changing us within, that we act, that we can't stop there. We're not the end of the gospel. We're a conduit that the gospel—God has designed the the gospel to travel in us, but also through us as we go and we tell it to others, as we share the gospel, as we love others, not because we have to, but because it's the natural response, it's the only reasonable response. We can't not do this. That's what we're after. We're after the whole person being engaged and following Christ. Yeah,
0: man, that is a great, great thought to end on. So, uh, so let's let's uh, let's call it an episode there. Uh, thanks for uh, chatting about this this passage, Brian, and thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it. Please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.